Welcome to Times Like These, the American Purpose podcast about current events and current ideas and the search for a new political center. I'm your host, Charles Lane of The Washington Post. Our guest today is Dr. Corey Shockey, who is Senior Fellow and Director of Foreign and Defense Policy Studies at the American Enterprise Institute, one of America's uh, leading defense intellectuals, the author of five books on strategy, defense, foreign affairs, international relations, but most relevantly for our purposes today, she's a member, uh, a leading member of one of the most remarkable agencies, I guess you would say, <laughs> that Congress has ever established. It has the name of the Naming Commission, and its function over the last year or so has been to come up with new names for the many American military properties, which bear the names of Confederate generals. There's a long history to this, and the country kind of became fully aware of it in 2020 uh, and became sort of aroused about it in 2020 as part of the general reckoning over racial issues and this country's very fraught history of race relations after the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis. There was a lot of concern expressed across the board in the country that it was high time to do something about the many uh, statues that honor Confederate figures or the so-called lost cause. And in particular, the seemingly strange and ironic fact that so many installations of the federal government and its army, which defeated the Confederacy, nevertheless, honored Confederate generals. And so Congress, uh, in the waning days of 2020, passed a statute as part of the Defense Authorization Act, establishing a commission with the mandate to come up with new designations and new names for these installations. And just uh, uh, recently, on May 24th of 2022, the Naming Commission produced a number of suggestions We'll get into this in detail with Corey a little bit later, but just to give you, a, for instance, Fort Benning, Georgia, uh, has, which was named for a Confederate general, uh, has been proposed to be renamed. Uh, some other famous ones that will be renamed are Fort Bragg in North Carolina, Fort Lee in Virginia, Fort Rucker in Alabama, and so on. But first, I just want to uh, welcome Corey Shockey to the program and tell her we've got lots to talk about. <laughs> it is such a pleasure to be in conversation with you, my friend. Thank you for having me. Well, Corey, this, as you know, one of the themes of our podcast is the rebuilding of political consensus in the United States. And I, perhaps it's, it, it's it, you know, we should be going back to first principles, which is it's hard to rebuild consensus about today if we don't have consensus about the past. And so I wonder if you could just give us a little background about what Congress was trying to achieve when it established this commission and how you commissioners um, kind of assimilated that mission in your own uh, conduct as you've been going through it over the last over these months. Yeah, I think there were two main motivations for congressional action. One was, uh, as you rightly point out, uh, in response to social justice protests in the summer of 2020, 
a desire to bring the names of our military installations. Um, you know, there wasn't a single military installation in the country named for Black American. Uh, and so to take the opportunity to have a more inclusive set of people that soldiers could look up to. And I think also it seemed long overdue to many uh, to remove the names of people who had voluntarily taken up arms against the government of the United States. And I think there's sort of tremulousness of democracy in America just now reminded people that we were overdue on both of those counts. And would you care to guess, Charles, how much real property in the Department of Defense inventory is named for Confederates? You know, I, the sky's the limit. That's a great question, but, but you know the answer, so tell us. 10,000 things. Wow. Swimming pools, streets, apartment buildings, 10,000. And for me, the biggest education of serving on the commission was to realize that this was, these were not choices made in the immediate aftermath of the Civil War. So they were not choices made to stitch the country back together again after the rebellion of the Confederacy. Predominantly, these things were named for Confederates as part of the Jim Crow movement uh, in the 1910s, right? To make, to push Black Americans back out of public space and to make them feel intimidated by their surroundings in this country. And the second big push uh, for, for, kind of uh, naming things for Confederates and a sort of a look back uh, in, in connection to the Confederacy happens after Blacks are integrated into the American military in 1950. So, for example, there is a 20-foot-high portrait of Robert E. Lee hanging at this moment in the cadet library at the United States Military Academy of West Point that has Robert E. Lee in a Confederate uniform with a black slave holding his horse. And it was given to West Point in 1954 by the Daughters of the Confederacy in order to make black cadets then being admitted to West Point intimidated and to let them know they don't really belong, even if the law and policy now permitted their participation. Well, Corey, you've, uh, you, you've well set up what was going to be my next question, which is, again, before we get into the nitty gritty of the renaming of particular bases, which we're going to, this, this idea of renaming the bases in our time was immediately controversial because President, then President Trump said, there's no way we're going to do this. This is destroying our heritage. I think there was some pushback from a number of people who sympathize with that, who said this was somehow erasing history and so on. I mean, let it be, let it be said that the bill that passed with this provision in it was bipartisan. It was a Defense Authorization Act. 
But given that there was some pushback against the idea of renaming, what's your assessment of how much acceptance and um, rethinking and willingness to reconsider there really turned out to be, even among some people who perhaps were against this idea at first, once you got the work underway? So there has been remarkably little pushback. And I think for two reasons. One is that the commission has had the good fortune to be under the leadership of retired Navy Admiral Michelle Howard, who has um, who has arranged the way we do our work to engage the communities affected, most affected. So communities surrounding those bases, civic leaders, elected political leaders, uh, civil society leaders, in order to hear their thoughts, what they're concerned about, about renaming, what you know, their proposals for who they would like bases named for. Um, and I think that engagement allowed us to make choices that communities, in particular the communities most affected, are actually proud and excited about. And I think the second reason is that the, the people we chose to name the major facilities for are so obviously fabulous Americans that all of us can draw inspiration from. So, Corey, tell us, tell us a little bit more in detail of the kind of uh, communications that you're describing here. I mean, when you when you went out in the field, I, I take it you did some of these by Zoom, maybe you did some in location. But what was the mood? Were people initially hesitant? Were they initially eager? How did you what did, what did you learn about the mood of the country just through this experience? So there was a lot of both of that, to be honest. And and my perception of some of our initial conversations with communities were that it was a lot less about the names of the bases and a lot more about people who felt they had been excluded and wanted connection and people who who didn't want to acknowledge the exclusion of others. And so it was the start of a series of conversations that we had and that communities had about, are there not choices we can make that we will all value? And, you know, these aren't easy conversations. They're emotional. They're a lot of times they are about people's sense of, of themselves as much as their sense of the community or other things. You know, I, this is a bit of a side note, but there are a lot of people whose personal biographies are caught up in the names of something seemingly as inconsequential as the name of the place they did their, their training when they were in the military. You know, that's a memory. Yes. If, if, in the case of my grandfather, for example, you worked a lot at Fort Lee when you were in the Army. All of a sudden, there's no more Fort Lee. And maybe people who are veterans of that suddenly feel like, wow, my biography is just, there's a hole been opened in it. And I think that sounds to me like the kind of concern that a person might have in good faith, even if they were generally supportive of the idea 
that these places had to be updated. Yes, that's exactly right, Charles. And, you know, one of one of the things I learned participating in this um, process is that it's really important to listen to carefully to what people are actually worried about instead of assuming they are acting in bad faith just because they don't want something changed. Well, you asked me for a number before and you already knew the answer. Now I'm going to ask you for another number and I think I know the answer. <laughs> How many suggestions did you take in from the public for new names for these various installations? Okay, that's such a great question. So we set up a website and please correct me if I'm wrong. I think the answer was 35,000. Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> um, yeah, so which is wonderful because that means people not only that they actually care about the issue, but that they are constructively engaged in answering. So I'm sure there were some that were, you know, there's always that one knucklehead who writes in Mickey Mouse for president. And I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure you got it. I'm super grateful that we didn't have the outcome that the British Navy did when they wanted to name a ship and it ended up uh, Bodie McBoatface or something. <laughs> yes, yeah, I think that awful. would have been a little bit of an embarrassment, but I, I suspected it, there were probably a bunch of wacky ones, but it seems to me your problem was more, from what I understand, that you had so many good ones, so many worthy That's ones. That's exactly right. But, but so that made the decision difficult. But it also made the work of the commission so much more joyful because we were choosing from among good choices. So let's do talk about some of the choices you made, because in addition to the whole, obviously, the issue of social justice, the issue of racial inclusion, it seems to me you went well beyond the, the mere sort of black-white dichotomy in this country and you uh, amplified the definition of a person who ought to be uh, recognized in this way to include women, to include um, indigenous people, to include uh, Latinos, but also to include uh, families of the military in a certain way. And um, I wanted to just uh, start with Fort Benning. And you chose to call it Fort Moore, but not just one more was... Uh, honored by that choice. Tell us a little bit about what will soon be Fort, perhaps soon be Fort Moore and named after Lieutenant General Hal and Julia Moore. Hal and Julia Moore were married for uh, most, so were married for most of his 32-year career in the Army. And, uh, you know, he was, he had 22 assignments. Um, they moved an awful lot. It was still the practice of the United States Army at that time to move families off military posts when the soldier deployed, hmm. um, which it sounds so crazy, but, but that's not even the worst practice at the time. During the Vietnam War, which is when Hal Moore famously served, if you have read the book or seen the movie, We Were Soldiers Once and Young. Yes. It, it depicts the battle in the Adrang Valley in Vietnam that he so famously was commander 
of an Air Mobile battalion recently organized. But Julia Moore was, you know, she was an army wife. She was home where they were posted. And at that time, the army notified families of a soldier uh, wounded or dead just by having a taxi deliver a, a telegram informing them of that. And she took the leadership role of informing families in person. So a lot of how we now think about casualty reporting in ways that are less traumatic for families was pioneered and driven into practice in the Army by Julia Moore. And so we wanted to celebrate both Hal's admirable service, but also Julia's admirable service to the Army and to the country. Now, another one of your very interesting choices is the choice to rename Fort Polk in Louisiana um, for William Henry Johnson, who um, I find especially interesting because he was a soldier, an African-American soldier, who, if I'm remembering the history correctly, was wearing a French uniform at the time of his service in World War I. And of course, I think it's also noteworthy that you're um, looking at the history of the First World War, often neglected, I would say, in our historical recognition uh, and bringing, bringing some of that history back up into its deserved place. Tell us a little bit about the choice of William Henry Johnson. He's such an admirable soldier, one of the Harlem Hellfighters of World War I. You're right, he was wearing a French uniform uh, because racial politics of America it, at that time uh, the American commander, General Pershing, would only include white combat troops in the American Expeditionary Force. And so, you know, William Henry Johnson enlisted in a segregated army, was shipped out earlier and attached to the French forces. He uh, was awarded the Medal of Honor for his amazing battlefield courage. And we were really excited to to remind Americans of this incredible soldier in our army. Well, uh, I, I could go on and on about all 10, but I just wanted to go to a third one before we move on, uh, because I think there's one figure you've recognized by naming or proposing to rename a fort after him, who I think is one of those, I guess you would say, is so obvious, it's almost surprising, which is Dwight D. Eisenhower. You're proposing, <laughs> yeah. you're proposing to name Fort Gordon, also in Georgia, and also uh, named after a Confederate general, uh, in honor of Dwight D. Eisenhower. And I guess the question there would be, Corey, what would you say to someone who says, although Dwight Eisenhower is clearly an American icon and worthy of honor, he already has enough recognition. Why uh, name a Fort after him? Tell us a little bit about the thought process there. Yeah, so it's certainly true that there's a memorial uh, here in Washington, D.C., named for Dwight Eisenhower, both because of his command of the Allied Expeditionary Force um, in World War II, but also because of his 
successful two-term presidency. But uh, we were focusing on who should we want soldiers to emulate and who do we want communities to think of when they think of American military service. And, and so we also wanted to celebrate General Eisenhower, not just President Eisenhower or, or uh, you know, the favorite son of Abilene, Kansas. Um, because if you think about the accomplishments of Dwight Eisenhower as a soldier, right, um, they are almost unparalleled. You know, in the Normandy invasion, there were three million Allied troops associated with the invasion. Uh, they took 10,000 casualties on the first day of the Normandy landings. And it was such an uncertain prospect whether the landing would succeed that Eisenhower wrote a, a letter to be delivered to the President of the United States should the Normandy landings fail, in which he said, these servicemen have, take, have done everything that could have been asked of them. Any blame for this failure associates only with me. And that kind of taking of responsibility was also an important part of who General Eisenhower was and was important for me personally as the commission was uh, thinking about who do we name and how. Well, Corey, um, I just want to take a moment to let people know that if they want more information about your uh, suggested names and all the other work of the commission, your website is www.thenamingcommission.gov. And I really recommend people take a look uh, because they're biographies of all the people uh, that you have uh, chosen to recognize and a good deal of information about the process that went into this. But what's next for the commission? As I understand the uh, legal requirements, the uh, names that you've proposed publicly are in a way not final because they'll be folded into a wider report that's due for presentation to Secretary of Defense Austin in October. And then I guess it's up to Secretary Austin to implement your suggestions. What further information and proposal will be in that forthcoming report? And how soon could the public expect all of this to lead to change on the ground? Yes, yeah, so you're right. The Secretary of Defense has the authority to make these changes. Congress gave him that authority in the National Defense Authorization Act in uh, 2020. We're still, there are still a whole bunch of uh, issues uh, that the commission is still thinking about. For example, uh, the instructions to give to the military academies about what is appropriate memorialization. You know, I don't know if you've ever been to West Point, Charles, but there's that enormous garden that that honors both Confederate and Union soldiers who had been West Point graduates. Uh, so uh, what should they do about that? 
what should be done about the 40-foot-high Confederate memorial in Arlington National Cemetery that has bas-reliefs, brass bas-reliefs of, you know, grateful Black slaves uh, equipping their masters for war. Um, so we still have decisions we're making, and the report is due to the Secretary and the Congress in October. Um, and so uh, we are busy uh, making our decisions, writing our report, explaining uh, ourselves to the American public, because one of the things we really want to do, and I think um, the commission under Michelle Howard's leadership has done really well in the announcement of the 10 big base names, is explain ourselves and and explain who these people are that we are choosing to celebrate and to give the runners up, not just the ones eventually selected, so that as DOD goes about renaming those 10,000 things in their inventory named for Confederates, um, that we make it easy on them by offering lots of great choices they could elect. So, Corey, I guess as a practical matter, you know, the 10,000 things, I think we should be clear, include a lot of, uh, I would say, redundancies, if you like. I mean, there are a lot of, um, so I'm just picking this as an example, but I think it's probably accurate. Say at Fort Rucker, you'd have um, 10 or 12 things inside Fort Rucker that are also named Rucker um, that might readily be converted to the new name once that occurs. If I'm right about that, that that's a relatively simple case, what do you envision um, as being more difficult or more uh, potentially complex aspects when we're talking about those 10,000 pieces of property? Yeah, well, um, and, and it's not just property. There are things like um, unit patches in the army that use Confederate symbols in the patches. Do you actually want to reach that far in uh, and, and suggest that those need to be renamed? I mean, there's a reason this hasn't already been done. There are lots of reasons this hasn't already been done. And, and so thinking carefully and reflectively and respectfully about what needs changing, uh, what do you want to leave to the decisions of units and the military services and communities themselves, and and what do you want, what does the law require us to change? You know, we began with um, a little bit of background, as you correctly noted, that many of these installations receive their names with the kind of uh, propagandistic objective to exclude black people symbolically from the mainstream of life and particularly military life. My own uh, writing about this and research about this has also shown to me that some of these things happened kind of on the fly um, with, with rather less consideration given. For example, I think Fort Benning was rather hastily built and hastily named in the 
mobilization for World War One, and kind of then, uh, you know, kind of validated, back backdated, so to speak, by subsequent decisions through inertia. All of which is to say that in addition to the malign intention that went into this, there was sort of a lack of intention or a certain unintentionality in the worst sense or the least neutral sense. What What's so remarkable about what you're describing is the intentionality of the process that now the, the federal government through this commission is really thinking about what it's doing, about what what names it is choosing to apply, what people and symbols it's choosing to honor. And I think that I just sort of like your reaction to that point, because I think that's rather a special um, special uh, moment in our history, because these things have been done often kind of episodically or in an ad hoc way in the past. Yeah, I think that's right. And that has been the beautiful part of the experience for me that the eight commissioners and the staff that we have worked so closely and and um and dedicatedly with we're being incredibly careful we're being um generous to people who disagree with us it is for me my favorite fingerprint of that intentionality that we commissioners allowed ourselves to be persuaded by each other and yet we have come together ourselves and let ourselves be persuaded into common positions. And it's been a really beautiful experience. I think you're right about a lot of the lack of intentionality, and we shouldn't assume malevolence in a lot of the process, and we've tried not to. But the other thing is the the biggest challenge that we have gotten from people who didn't want names changed was, hey, I never knew that's what this was for. I never knew, you know, Benning was part of the KKK. Why can't you just leave it alone? And my answer to that is um, you may not have, have been affronted by it. But there are others, your fellow Americans, your fellow soldiers, your fellow members of this community, who it does hurt. Um, And so we want to rename these for people that all of us can draw inspiration and strength and collective engagement from. Well, Corey, I want to conclude um, just on a note uh, uh, that in that spirit, I think, it appears that you are on course to engage in that rare exercise in today's uh, culture and climate that has a unifying effect on people. Uh, I wonder if you agree with that. Oh, I very much hope that proves true. It has had a unifying effect on those of us who are on the commission, and I believe has had a unifying effect on the communities of the 10 names. Uh, the 10 major army posts that are being nominated for renaming. And I hope that will spread more broadly, given that the communities most affected have come together in those ways. Corey, thank you so much for this really thoughtful discussion of um, something that I think is going to really have a a lasting impact uh, around the country when people start to focus on these changes, when they come online. 
And really, uh, I want to just say I really appreciate your taking time to lay it all out and explain the thought process, because this is something that I think people are aware of generally that got kickstarted some time ago, but maybe they forgot that it was going on and you have given us a really good update. So Corey Shockey, thanks so much for being on times like these. And maybe we'll get to talk again once uh, the renaming is fully underway in earnest and we'll get another uh, check in with you. But again, thank you, Corey, for being on the podcast. It was a great pleasure, Charles. 